Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender trembling moment starts. Welcome everybody for another episode of Hollywood Godfather. And I can't believe it, it's, we're entering our fourth year. Thanks to all of you, your mail, your support, telling your friends, and the sirens are coming to get me. It's New York City. <laughs> the music of the night. But I, I got enough law enforcement on in front of me, and we're out there, so I have no problems. So with that said, Pat, I want you to do the honors of our distinguished guest. I can't wait to talk to him about the old neighborhood. Yes, we are uh, happy to have with us today Miles Watson, who's had a varied career in law enforcement. He spent 10 years in Hollywood as a screenwriter and a rewrite person. He's back in law enforcement uh, now in Pennsylvania. I met Miles when I was an instructor in the, uh, the uh, graduate school at Seton Hill University. He was one of my students in a writing popular fiction course. And I was there a long time, and I've taught a lot of people. And Miles, by far, is the best uh, writer, student or not, that I've ever come across. In fact, when I grow up, I want to be as good a writer as Miles Watson. Okay, now, now you got me curious. I wow. Gotta, I got to read something that he's written. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. If anything ever happens to me, that's the go-to guy. Trust me. Anyway. Make sure uh, I get your information, Miles. <laughs> now now I'm, I'm, I'm wiring a car bomb as we speak to get rid of that. <laughs> Miles, welcome to the show. That's the official greeting. Well, thank you uh, for having me. I'm delighted to be here. We should nice let our audience had, know his last name, right? Miles Watson. Oh, okay. I didn't hear that. Yeah, didn't, hear, didn't hear that part. Okay, let's uh, start off, Miles, by telling the, uh, the uh, listeners... Your uh, background, starting with your family, and we'll get into uh, our uh, theme for the show. Okay, so basically, uh, how, I'm, how I'm linked into this, I guess, is both sides of my family were Chicago people, Chicago land area, mainly the city, but basically they, everybody was concentrated in that area. And my grandparents, my maternal grandparents, were he was a CBS big guy in radio for a while before the stock market crashed, but they lived in Capone's neighborhood, in, in a Capone-controlled neighborhood. My grandma, when I was growing up, she told me about the speakeasies that they used to hit and the restaurants that were all full of gangsters. And they actually lived in the same apartment building when they lived on Lakeshore Drive when they were before the stock market tanked. Uh, next to, their next-door neighbor in the apartment building was Wilker, uh, James Wilkerson, the judge who convicted Capone. So oh, wow. growing up, you know, I'd hear these these Chicago stories. Is from my, grand, my grandma. My grandfather had died before I was born, but... My dad grew up, they were very, on, on my paternal side, my dad, his family, they were very poor. And my dad and his brother, they went to Steinmetz High School, which, and I was, I was talking to Gianni about this a minute ago. I don't know what Steinmetz is like today. I think it's a prep school. But in the 50s, it was definitely not a prep school, at least not in the, in the sense we understand. It was, oh, no, I know. Believe me. I know the neighborhood. I spent so, a lot of time there. So your father okay. was a, a, a writer? For the, for no, he ended up becoming a journalist. He, uh, he, he was a journalist for the Chicago Sun-Times for about 33 years before he died. So he knew he, my friend Irv Kupsonet. 
I'm, I, I would absolutely probably bet on it. Yeah. Um, he was a very, I mean, he was Chicago all the way through. He fought with Mayor Daly. He was attacked by his thugs, you know, those whole nine yards. He yeah. was a city editor when he was still in his 20s. He was a very 100% Chicago guy, street guy. Um, he ended up going to Steinmetz High School. And, of course, at Steinmetz is where he was in the same class. In fact, I have the class picture. I don't have it with me because it's in my mom's house. But Tony Spatra obviously didn't graduate from Steinmetz. He was there two years. But there's a picture of them together, uh, which I get a huge kick out of in the fifth, you know, in their, in their uh, kind of plaid shirts with the 50s haircuts. They're oh, six, 16 years old. And uh, so that's where he met uh, Tough Tony, as they called him. Yeah, he was tough even as a kid. He was nuts. Yeah, yeah. Wow. My my dad said that Tony Spilatro was small, brooding kind of kid, but he always had a gang. He always had a gang with him all the time, all the time. And he, they were called the Apprentice Thugs by the teachers there, because it was very well known where Tony's trajectory was even when he was a kid, what he was going to end up doing. Right. And uh, he was always in fights. He would steal other kids' projects, you know, in like metal shop, and then try to try to uh, substitute the, the the project for his own, and he would inevitably get caught. Um, he would get in fights. He would beat kids up, get beaten up. If he got beaten up, he would always come back with his squad of apprentice thugs, and they would stomp the kid. Uh, my dad told me a funny story about how a friend of his was shooting pool one night, and Tony came over to him and demanded a game at a dollar a game, which, you know, 1956 or whenever this was, was a lot of money for these these poor neighborhood kids, you know. So the guy refused. Tony said if he if he didn't if he didn't play him, they were going to beat him up. So he played him. He beat Tony, and then they jumped on him and beat him anyway. So you, 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 <laughs> he never changed. I, you know, I met him later on in life, and I I knew a lot about him because I was I used to spend a lot of time in Melrose Park. I don't know if you know where okay. that is. Because that uh, Ocado lived out there, and I, I was only dealing with that high end of, of the outfit at that time, because my partner was Nick Nitty, Frank Nitty's son, right? And they put us together. I met, I actually met him at the Palmer House, and uh, from that on, that time on, we stayed together until he died. Nick, now his son John's with me in Chicago. I got a lot of stuff in Chicago yet. I got a big distribution there with with Greco and Sons, all legitimate stuff. But um, sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they so they say. Anyway, this has been telling me for five years. No, I but, believe uh, you. Don't get me wrong. I believe you. But I'm I'm sure you never knew of the Leiden Motel. No. The Leiden Motel Melrose. They built a club called the Court Lounge, because the Leiden Motel was built like a castle. It surrounded the whole block. And you drove in on the first floor through and got into the courtyard. And they built the club there. And I could never understand why does the motel have iron gates that close every time you go in and get out. But we had the, uh, home, the homecoming for Jackie Sr., Jackie Cerrone Sr. That's how long I'm going back. And I met them. Yeah, those like, are all the old legends of the of the sixties, the fifties. Yeah, Sarong, that's all, that's all. I was out there with them. It was crazy times. The camel. And and that's when I forgot who was grooming uh, Spalatro, but he adored this kid, 
and I, I, he did some work for Tony. I mean, for for this guy. And they got this guy. I don't know if you heard the story. When he did, you hear the story when he put the kid's head in the vice? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he got that idea from Metal Shop because my dad told me a story about how he <laughs> borrowed uh, Tony borrowed my dad's uh, compass. You know those those metal. Oh yeah, sure, yeah. With a double pronged end or whatever. I, it's a compass, I think it's called. Yeah, to make circles and do all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, you make the circles with it. I don't know. I, we, we used to use them for every purpose but math when I was in school. But at any rate, Tony had the same idea. So he borrows the compass in the shop class. He doesn't give it back. So my dad asked for it back, and he said he threw it at my head, and I just ducked, and it went into the wall and went out of the wall like an arrow in a bad movie. Uh. So, so Tony actually tried to avert my birth by killing my father with a compass. I kind of... <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people would would approve of that, actually, but I resent it. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> what little I know of you, you're a nicer guy than Tony Spilatro. <laughs> Most people he said, are. He said he actually had a protection racket uh, when he was 14, you know, 15. He would, oh, yeah. He collect the lunch monies of... I'll give you kid. a better one. At the first week of school for the freshmen... He used to sell them counterfeit lunch passes for $5 all year you could eat. An elevator pass. You don't have to go on a staircase. I mean, he had every racket going. I know more about him. When I finally met him, which I didn't really want to meet him. I met him by accident at the Stardust Lounge in Las Vegas. At, at the Stardust Hotel because they ran the Stardust Chicago. And I met him with Nick on New Year's Eve. The worst day of my life for two years. <laughs> Two years, it was a pain in my neck. The well, end. He's consistent. He was consistent. Let's let's say. That. Oh yeah, but like you said, he always had a gang. Always had a gang. He destroyed I, Vegas. My dad, you know, was not was not the. Uh, my dad was a tall guy, you know, and in later life he was very strong physically, but he was definitely not the type to want to mix it up with the apprentice dogs. So, but oh, he, no. he, he said he played a little psychological games. He'd say, you know, I'll get it to you tomorrow. And tomorrow never came for two years. And then they finally expelled him or he, he yeah. dropped out. Uh, but I, I gather it wasn't, he wasn't the most fun classmate to have. Um, no, I don't think he was a, a fun to anybody that he's with even growing up. I mean, I, I've known a lot about him. And then when he came to Vegas, it was almost impossible to avoid him because he was everywhere. And he has that same attitude. It's crazy. I felt bad for his brother, Michael, though. Cause he yeah, I, I know that uh, my dad said something very interesting. He said that a couple times some of Spilatro's older brothers would come to school and beat him up because they said he was disgracing the family with all of his antics. And, oh, I know. Uh, he, he apparently caused kind of a, um, I guess there was a lot of laughter among the Italian students one day because he got beaten up by one of his older brothers. And then he was in a rage because, you know, he, he couldn't beat him. He was on it. He was on uh, down in the dust, beat down by his older brother. And he screamed, you dirty Dago at him. And for some reason, the Italians thought this was absurd completely absurd that he would call his own brother a dirty Dago. So in, in addition to getting his ass kicked in front of the whole school, now he had all the Italians in school laughing at him as he was lying there bleeding. So I, I <laughs> and that's how uh, he went out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ironically, I guess. Oh that, yeah, that is, maybe not ironically. He was really his dirty that day. Stories about him. 
in the cornfield. Yeah. No, did your father tell you any other stories about Spilatro? Oh, just that uh, aside from the, uh, he said, actually, he said there was one thing about him that, uh, that really stuck in his mind was that one day Spilatro came into shop class and he was very morose down. He wasn't, he wasn't being his normal self. And he uh, finally, somebody said to him, I don't know if it was my dad or somebody else, but he said, what's the matter with you? You all right? And he said, I wish I was dead. And when they found him in the cornfield, obviously decades later, that that <laughs> came back to my dad's mind as yeah. being a very belated, uh, belated. Uh, request. They waited too long, Randy. though. That's the problem. <laughs> they yeah. should have did yeah. it then. <laughs> Karma took a, maybe a few minutes too long in, in Tony's case, but yeah. uh, that was kind of my introduction growing up. You know, hearing these stories about these guys, uh, you know, seeing them in restaurants and stuff in Chicago, and then. Years later, what happened to me was my dad got transferred out to Washington, D.C. to cover the White House, actually, for his paper. And he ended up becoming the bureau chief for the Chicago Sun-Times out in, in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow. So I had kind of an unusual childhood, always meeting all these people that were in the in the business of Under government. Under what president? Well, we went out there in, I'm dating myself, but we went out there in 77. I was four or five. And uh, so I guess we got there, Carter. Oh, sure. And, um, my man, my good friend. Jimmy Carter. <laughs> yeah. We went out from there, and, and then my dad was doing that till he died. And uh, but I, <clears throat> excuse me, I grew up there, and so the, a lot of the people that I met, you know, were were it was a completely different world. Not the Washington D.C. Obviously, not a mob. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's like black and white. Yeah, <laughs> Forget yeah about it's, it's just it's just not there, but. In college, I met a lot of people from Jersey and New York, and I met people who, you know, had people in various connections to various things at various levels, the low levels, of course. And I just learned some of the lingo and so forth. People would talk about their families. But then my own first experience was kind of funny because it had nothing to do with Italians. It was actually when I was living back in Maryland, this was around 2003, there was these, these Russians who had the most obvious front I think that I've ever seen in my life. They had a, a, a basically a bodega. It was, it was like a deli, but they had it in an alley, an alley with absolutely no foot traffic at all. There was no reason for there to be a deli in this alley. <laughs> the rent was cheap. That's why. <laughs> now on top of this, now I picture me it's, it's in the alley behind my apartment building. So I used to go there sometimes to, to get a six pack. But I was always very curious and suspicious because two-thirds to three-quarters of the shelves were always completely empty, and there was no food in the deli ever. You couldn't order any food. So I was, I'd always go in there and go, well, they just started. You know, it's new, so maybe they don't have their supplies. So behind the counter, there's always six or seven of these huge guys in track suits. They were giants. <laughs> they got it from John Gotti. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're in track suits. They're, they're talking in Russian. Their boss has a scar across his face, exactly across his face, which when I talked to him, he told me it was from a steering wheel. It was a very skinny steering wheel. It was about this thin, bright red, <laughs> across his face. And, and they talk like this. They would say, what do you want? What, what do you want? What are you coming in here for? Well, I want to buy some beer. We'll buy some beer then. So I come into the place. They've got tattoos on their hands. Now, I had been to the academy by this point. I've been to the the state correctional academy at that time actually and they taught us how to read gang tattoos aryan brotherhood whatever you know what i mean any any type of gang tattoos 
So I come in and one day the guy's making change for me and I see on his hands these particular patterns of dots. And in the old Soviet Union, they communicated to each other, the gangsters communicated to each other which prisons they'd been into by the patterns of dots on their hands. But that's the Soviet gulags. These aren't regular prisons. I mean, these are horrible, you know, right. they're basically concentration camps almost that these guys came out of. And they were very proud of it. Very, you know, I did my time here. I did my time there. These guys, they're wearing chains. They got war movies in Russian in the corner. One day this woman blows in. She's wearing a floor length leather jacket. She's got a huge fake boob job, nails out to here, screaming in the gangster's face. And he's taking it. So obviously there was a. It was his mother. There. <laughs> he's going. <laughs> and he's got that look. What can you do? Kind of look. So one day there's a snowstorm. And I used to come in there sometimes and they'd chit chat with me, but in a very kind of Russian kind of way. Like one day the guy told me he was disappointed because he followed a police car 20 miles during a chase and they didn't kill the guy that they were chasing. And he goes, <laughs> I drove 60 miles out of my way and they did not even shoot him. They did not even beat him. <laughs> and I was like, Correct well, you got on the car and asked for a refund. So one day, this is in 2003 or so, there's a huge snowstorm, right? And I, I, I really needed a beer, but everything was closed. Because in Maryland, you know, snow, they panic. I grew up in Maryland, and they, they act as if snow, they've never seen it. Every year it comes, and every year they act, they've never seen it. So I come home from work. I'm in a suit. I'm in a cashmere overcoat. I have a badge on my hip. I look pretty official. I, these guys don't respect me, but I'm thinking today, maybe I'll walk in in my actual business clothes, and they'll give me some respect. Snow's coming down. I walk in. The place is more picked over than usual. The shelves are completely barren. The boss guy is sitting behind the counter with his scar face. I see this one six pack left. Thank God I'm in business. I take it, I put it down on the counter. I give him a $20 bill. Now this is in 2003. So $20 was worth more then than it is now. It was probably worth about 30 today, right? So he takes my money, he pushes the beer across, he goes into the cash register and he gives me about a dollar in change. <laughs> <laughs> I go kind of look at it and I don't want to say anything at first and I just kind of given him the look like hey you made a mistake he doesn't say anything he's just staring at me with a dead-eyed completely expressionless face so I go hey um this is a six-pack uh you, you uh I gave you a 20 and you only gave me like a dollar and he goes yeah and I said it's a it's a six-pack <laughs> and he leans in he leans towards me till we're about three inches away on the nose. And I said, I go, this is a, it was a six pack. And he leans in and he goes, yes, is last six pack. <laughs> so it's worth more money. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to end up in the back of this place, chopped up and never get my beer and lose my $20. So I take my beer and my, my badge on my hip, which is completely useless with these guys. My powers were useless against them. And I slink out into the snow. And I, I went back there sometime later, and the place had shut down. It was the most obvious front. They weren't even trying. I mean, they were not even <laughs> trying. They didn't care. They just didn't care. These guys had zero. Can I swear? Sure. This yeah. is America. The amount of fucks they gave was in the negative number. <laughs> they just didn't give a shit. They negative. might as well have had sandwich boards on him saying, you know, hi, my name is uh, Sasha. I will be murdering you today. 
So, <laughs> do, do you write about this stuff? What do you write about? Uh, you know, I do. I write about everything. I don't I don't like writing in any one genre. But anytime I have an experience like this, it always works its way into my writing. As Pat will tell you, I try to always connect to the real things that I've encountered and just build on them or extrapolate from them. Yeah, uh, 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 Miles has an ear, uh, as they say, in this writing business. He can pick up any kind of an accent. If, if, if you say something to him in front of it, if you overhear something 10 years later, it's going to wind up in a book. Uh, it's fascinating so the way it works. Uh, the first book that I ever read that he wrote was a uh, book about boxing and uh, the, uh, you know, boxing and organized crime. That was Cage Life, right, Miles? Yeah, Cage Life. And actually, uh, I don't know if it's time to do my shameless uh, self-promotion, but... Uh, Go right ahead. Please. Okay. I just happen to have an old copy of it right here. But Really? <laughs> wow. It, it was just sitting on the chair next to me. That's you amazing. Look at that? Um, yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, this book and the sequel, I actually knuckled Ooh. down. Cage 2? I actually put on sale uh, on Kindle. I, I lowered the price to the maximum amount allowed. Uh, to 99 cents for Kindle downloads in honor of being on this uh, podcast. I can't go any lower than that or Amazon will have me shot. Oh, wow. So they're actually selling a book for 99 cents? Well, you, you can, can control the you, price. You control the Obviously, price. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't sell it for that. Uh, ordinarily, the, the, the paperback sells for 11 I think. But well, the, the, the electronic download, <laughs> yeah. I, I pulled the electronic download as low as it would possibly go in honor of being here. So... You oh, should wow. have made it higher. That's great. Yeah. So if you want to pick up both books or anything else, that I pretty much lowered most everything to 99 cents in honor. Well, I hate to books. tell you what you did. Told our audience if they run out of toilet paper, they're going to buy your book. It's cheaper. Well, <laughs> but they'll be they'll, the laughing stock will be the laugh will be on them because uh, these are electronic downloads. Oh, so, oh. The Kindle oh. version. Oh, oh, tablets. I see. Oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's really going to oh. hurt. Yeah, hello. Now I now I know that. I, I when I <laughs> see a book, now I understand you're talking to a guy. I'll be eighty in December, so when I see a book, I see a book. I see pages. My oh, grandmother would buy. My grandma overheard that she would buy ten yeah. books right away. Yeah, just for I'm the a paper. Hard copy type of guy. <laughs> I, I don't like electronic books that much myself, but that is the way the world is going. So it's available in all the formats, but you can't lower the prices on the uh, on the paperback. They won't let you. They got to make a profit. So. Oh, great. So will you tell our audience a bit about, about these books, if you would? Yeah, actually, and it's, it's a little tied into an experience that I had. Um, my mob education, if you want to call it that, in the Italian sphere of influence came from meeting a guy when I was on the job. I was, I was, uh, he was a, a low-level associate, but he was a, a Wait, 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 ho, ho. You just yeah. jumped from being a law-abiding citizen when you were in homicide. So, so talk oh, about no. No, I wasn't in homicide. I was uh, I was actually, it was a kind of a parole officer type of job. Okay. And so I met this guy. It had a fancy title. It wasn't a parole officer. I was a parole officer once, but it, but this was this was called a correctional specialist, which is a fancy word for parole officer. And I met a guy, and he was an associate of, uh, it's the, the family out of Buffalo, Magadino, I think. I know them name. well. Okay, and they, as you as you know, they they do a lot of business with the guys across the border in Canada. That's where the really grandfather started. Were, yeah, during prohibition. Hello. 
So that, and that's still there. That's still in place. And he was, he was with both those guys. He was a, basically did the Canadian Buffalo run and uh, he sort of sounded me out. And, you know, he, the first time I met him, he came in in a male attitude uh, suit. So <laughs> it, it, Johnny, you, I know, you know what that is. Yeah. So if you're wearing that, it just says something about you. So I knew when coming in between his, his Roman coin that he had in a gold signet ring and, and the male attitude suit and the chunky gold Rolex watch, I knew what I was dealing with. But he ended up telling me a lot of things in a general way. He, he obviously wasn't stupid. I, he knew I wasn't going to be building a case against him or anything. So he didn't talk about criminal stuff. But he, he introduced me to a lot of things. And one of them was the story of Eddie Malo, which was a boxer who very successful boxer in Canada who became an enforcer for the mob up there and ended up getting killed. And from that story, I got the idea for cage life, which I switched from boxing to mixed martial arts to make it a little more contemporary. Also because I follow both sports. I'm very well versed in both sports. So I, I felt like I was on good ground there, but I decided, wouldn't it be interesting if we did a story about a mobster who doesn't want to be in the mob, he has to sort of pay off a debt and they're using him basically as muscle. He has a debt, so he has to work it off because of his muscle, because he's very good with his fists. It's kind of a classic boxing story, but I changed it to mixed martial arts to contemporize it. And of course, it's the basic story of this guy, Mick, who is trying to get out of this situation where he owes a debt. But of course, because it's a book and you've got to make it bad and then make it worse, the the more he tries to get out, the more deeper he gets in. He starts enjoying himself, going down the wrong road. He starts, he buys into a piece of a gambling joint. He, his life gets more and more out of control. And that's what these books are about. They're about his, he's a low-level guy. He's on Is the he an Italian in the book? Sorry? Is he an Italian in the book? He's half Italian, half Irish. I didn't want, I wanted to make sure he wasn't Italian on his father's side because I didn't want him to ever be able to rise beyond a certain level, I, I thought that was very important for his character oh, yeah, of to course. kind of be trapped. On so, the uh, Miles, if I, if, if I can cut in here, you don't have to be shy. This book won a lot of awards, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, actually, um, okay, I won't be shy. They both won a lot of awards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he has oh, 10 of them right here. He has a, 10 awards right next to me here, my trophy Actually, player. behind me is a trophy case that I specifically bought to show this off <laughs> to, to the non-existent visitors that I have during COVID. Uh, the it won best it won book of the year in 2016. It also won the best indie book award in 2018. It was a shelf unbound uh, wow. runner up as well. Knuckle Down won the best indie book award in 2018 and was also a I want to say it was honorable mention in the uh, writers di readers digest. Excuse me. Wow, that's Man, amazing. It's a lot of. Well, I said he's he's a good writer. He's a damn good writer. I mean, he's, he's wow. the best. And, and I and I'll I've, have to I've read these. Lot, I've had a lot of students. This guy is uh, head and shoulders. The only person I know, you know, usually writers uh, specialize in a genre. This guy does everything. He can write romance. He can write war books. He can write anything. Quite a talented guy, Miles. If you do say so yourself, right, Miles? Yeah, I'm not here to brag brag for me. And I can <laughs> Why not? back here looking humble. No, hey, listen. I've been I've been a friend, uh, Gianni's friend for about five years. I forgot what the word humble means. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to look it up in the show. Well, were you were you a writer before you met Pat? I was, but I I didn't have the discipline to finish things. What I learned in grad school 
from Pat, and I'll tell you my Pat story. When I first met Pat, okay, we're, we're going to meet our mentors, right? Now, I've never met Pat. I don't know anything about him. I walk across the room, and there's this guy. He doesn't have his mustache anymore, but he used to have this, his powerful mustache. I sit down. Like a Mussolini Pat's, mustache, so I get the right thing? Or a Hitler mustache? What kind of it was, mustache? No, it was, a, it, was a, it was a savage mustache. Yeah, I, 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 I shaved it off, if I can interrupt you a second. I shaved it off because it was told I looked like a 70s porn star. <laughs> oh. You say that like it's a bad thing. Yeah, I, sh I should have kept right. it on it. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Boz. I'm sorry. So I come across the room and I sit down and I'm looking at Pat and I introduce myself and he goes, so what do you want to write, kid? And I said, well, my, my book is, uh, you know, it's going to be about this guy who, who falls in with the mob and he's trying to get out, but he just keeps going back deeper in and he kind of starts to like it and everything and he's a fighter and all this and he goes, and he looks at me and he's got kind of this weary air world weary and he goes do you know anything about this subject <laughs> and i say well you know i was a parole officer i was an investigator for the district attorney and you know i i did some competitive uh not ever professional fighting but did some you know martial arts training and stuff and he goes oh so you actually have some fucking life experience <laughs> <laughs> yeah See, I gather that certain people who came to him that day were like, yeah. I want to write about, you know, a New York City detective. And Pat was yeah. probably like yeah, vomiting. Well, it, yeah, I, 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 didn't fit the, I didn't fit the mold of a college professor. Perhaps that's why I'm not there anymore. Yeah, the, the, the level of truth that was issued was probably more than, than some, <laughs> yeah. some thin skin folk could take. Hey, uh, Miles, you, you, you had told me a, a story which I hadn't heard. And you're full of stories. Uh, you're a great storyteller about Felix Rodriguez, who I had heard of, and perhaps the audience hasn't. Uh, tell our listeners about I have this. not. How you got okay, involved. So, no, have I. Yeah, so growing up where I did, the the my, my uncle, for example, was an FBI agent. He was actually way high up. I don't know the rank structure of the FBI, but I think he was like deputy assistant to the director of counterintelligence. There were a lot of people, when I was in high school, I worked for a guy named Ford Meyer, who was one of the directors of the CIA during their wild period, 60s and 70s, when they were private armies, you know, the, all the crazy shit the CIA was doing back then. The intelligence community is obviously, it's focused there. It's your neighbor, you know, your friends, your dad. I had a soccer uh, team where the, the, the coach of our team disappeared along with his son and, and the, the whole family disappeared one day. My coach. You get there, there's no coach. It's called, it's yeah. called witness protection program. Yeah. yeah. God knows where they, where they went or what they did, but the, my mom was laughing because she was like, oh, yeah, they were in the State Department because that's where everybody, <laughs> everybody intelligence is in the right. State Department. Um, but at any rate, we, we met you know some unusual people other people would consider it unusual, but it's like in Hollywood, you meet actors and it's not that big of a deal. Well, where I grew up, it wasn't a big of a deal to meet people in military. No, obviously. Maryland, yeah. forget about it. Yeah. So inside the Beltway, you know, my dad was a White House correspondent. So one day I, I got my dad would get me into things if he could, me and my older brother. And one day we got invited and I, I want to say it was an embassy party, but this might be wrong. But at any rate, when George Bush, the first was president, we went to some kind of function. And I was 16 or 17 years old, and I had it was my first time wearing a tux. I remember that very vividly. I was wearing a tux, so I was feeling really cool, you know, like James Bond. And I don't think we were on American soil, so I was drinking. I felt really adult. And where did you George go Bush was for there. this party? They airlifted. I want to say we were on. We were in an embassy. 
I want to say oh, that. Oh, okay. I, mean, I want to say we were not on American. Yeah, so soil. they they have they have no uh, no laws. Not American yeah. laws anyway. Right. Mm. So we're there. The president is there. George Bush was there, and he gave a speech. I don't know if you guys remember Gary Shandling, but he was there. He did a big comedian. He did a big roast of the president, and then the president got up and talked, or, or maybe I have that backwards. But at any rate, I'm walking around with my beer, feeling very grown up. And around me are the reporters and the diplomats and all these people. And of course, they're in their dress, you know, so the military guys are in their full dress uniforms, the, the tuxedo style right. dress uniforms. And I see a guy and he Latino guy and he's got a tux, but he's got medals on it. And I thought that's kind of odd. Like he has those little medals that you wear on very dress uniforms, the small ones, about right, an inch right, and a half. Right, right. So I walk over to him being a, being a teenager, you know, you don't have any social inhibitions you just blurt stuff out so i walked over to him and i said hey would you mind telling me what those are for so this guy goes oh no not at all and the first one he i don't remember any of what he said except the first one he said this is the intelligence star that's a medal you get in the cia hmm. so he says my name's felix rodriguez and he goes into his whole life story about how he was in the bay of pigs and he tried to kill castro and he was a mercenary for the cia paramilitary he fights against the fights against the communists in Nicaragua. He was Send in Vietnam, Nam, you know, and I'm thinking this guy's full of it. Like, come on. A at the time, I was like, it, it, nobody has this much of a life, you know, and he's going on about it. And he said, actually, I was I was there when they killed Che Guevara. He said, we caught him and I was the last guy to pose with a picture of him. And he, I, he reaches in to his tuxedo and he pulls out a really bad Xerox copy, uh, dating myself, photocopy of <laughs> a... Uh, of him in a, in a, like a military uniform with this guy who's all disheveled and looks like he's about to be shot, bearded, looking terrible. And it was Che Guevara. And he tells me, he's telling me all these stories about he was being a mercenary and he's doing all this stuff. Mike Wallace from 60 Minutes walks over and rudely takes him away from me in the middle of these great stories. And I'm thinking, fuck you, Mike Wallace. <laughs> and... <laughs> He, he takes Felix Rodriguez away from me, but before he left, he goes, kid, he goes, uh, who's your dad here? And I said, my dad, he's, you know, Jerome Watson, he works for the Chicago Sun-Times. And he said, I'm going to get your dad a copy of my book. That's why he had the picture. He, he was uh -huh. coming from his publisher and he had, oh, okay. the, he had pages of the galley proof in his uh, jacket. I actually think he probably carried them with him all the time. Yeah, hello. Uh, his but, mother's carrying them now. <laughs> like the next day. Yeah, he's, he's carrying them right now. The next day or very soon thereafter, my dad called me up from work and he said, hey, Felix Rodriguez just sent over a package to my office. My dad's office was downtown National Press Building. And he said, it's a galley proof, which for, for the audience, that's a that's a, a book that has really had had no editing. That's in its pre stages. You know, it's not for publication. It's basically for the editors to go over. It's, it's not going to ever be sold. So it's full of mistakes. So these are like advanced copies. So he said, Felix Rodriguez shot over a book and says he wants you to have it. He said, what the hell are you talking to Felix Rodriguez for? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I want to read the book. So I read the book and it turns out all this shit is true. He did all this stuff. This so why don't crazy. you write a book about him, I would think, right away? Well, because I'd probably disappear. Because um, he, he now, the, I think he was ultimately exonerated of this, but he was, uh, he was part of that whole community of guys who walk the line between the the government and then the paramilitary forces of the government, which, as you know, I mean, Iran-Contra 
there's sometimes no distinction between them and and organized crime at all. No kidding. Going back to Gene, did you read our book? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, You know, guys you might have heard of, like Sam Giancana and those people uh, back in the day, Johnny Roselli, and uh, but at any rate, he he. I read his book and. He was on 60 Minutes, so anybody out there, you could probably YouTube that right now. Go on 60 Minutes and see. I think it was Mike Wallace's interview of him on 60 Minutes, which I watched. Wow. But later, he was briefly linked. I don't think anything ever came from it, but two DEA agents made accusations against him that he was involved in the torture, the interrogation and torture of Kiki Camarena, who was a DEA agent working in Mexico, who was kidnapped, tortured, and murdered by the Guadalajara cartel because he was doing his job too well. Um, and for them to hit a federal agent, as you know, as you all know, yeah. you don't you don't take that step lightly. Now, he was so, the only uh, DEA agent that was ever killed, and the way he was killed, he was tortured over three weeks. Yeah, time. And by but, by professional interrogators, not just they did everything um, to the guy. Wow. Yeah. And and there was an accusation that Felix Rodriguez was there during some of the torture. I don't think that that was ever. I I know that was never proven, and it may be complete horseshit, but. He has that kind of. Uh, what the guy did they, generates. What did they want out of him that took that long? He, he had he, he had all of the uh, all the cases that the DEA had on the cartels down there. He had a lot of information. He was a DEA agent. DEA yeah. was after the cartels, and they tortured him until they got every possible bit of information out of him. Because you always give it up. You always give it up. Yeah. And he was running, uh, I imagine he was doing what you do. He was running informants. He probably had knowledge of ongoing investigations. He probably had names within the Mexican, you know, the federal police department out there and everything. And unfortunately, you know, it was a horrible story, but he was linked to that. And my mom was always like, don't talk to these people. She hated the, the CIA. Oh, yeah, hello. She, <laughs> Mothers and their sons. Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah. Don't talk to Cord Meyer. He's a war criminal. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. So, so yeah, you met these people sometimes in, in Washington who were in this kind of shadowy, nebulous region of, of between doing government service and... But primarily, on the dark side primarily you only write novels, fiction. Uh, yeah, for, for now. I mean, I love history, and I would love to, to, uh, to write, you know, history books if I had the time. History? To do all the research. Yeah, I would love to write on any subject, actually. I... I like writing, period. Why, this new generation is changing all that, so you better get the names right. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah, color of, of their skin. <laughs> well, if the books if the books get burned, it's hard to burn books in an electronic era. I don't know. Maybe. So. You just yeah, destroy your own iPad. That easily. Yeah, I've tried. Yeah. I've tried. It doesn't work. Then, so then this you guy Rodriguez is still around, by the way. You know that, right? Who? Hmm? Felix Rodriguez is still around. How old is he? 90? 100? Uh, Miles, how old is he? I mean, he was old enough to fight in the Bay of Pigs, so he's got to be... I know. Hello. Yeah, probably close to 90. I was I was 17, 18 during that time. So he's got to be up there. he got to be. Yeah. But it, yeah, he's still around. I was says kind he's of 80. Him, but, really? He's my age? Yeah, Wikipedia says he's 80. Yeah. Okay. Wow, where is he? He must have been very young. Where's he living? Does it say that? Where, I don't know where he is, but uh, I, 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 no, I heard a rumor that. tonight that, that that he's your next door neighbor. Is that true? Hey, I wish he was. That's our next oh. book. <laughs> hey, you, yeah, you guys would have a lot to talk about. Yeah. yeah, 
he, Mark would like to have him right away, right? Get Mark I would Shaw. Well, I mean, I guess he's already put out that one book about his life I, I, a long, long time ago. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was an education onto the, uh, that other side of of things that uh, because you've, you've got your people that live within the law, you've got your outlaws, and then you've got your people in between. Oh yeah, and then you got the people who break all the laws that are in the law. <laughs> yeah, and we call those people politicians. Yeah. And that's a nice segue into what are you doing now? You're in law enforcement now. I am. I'm back. Uh, I was I was in Hollywood for 13 years in the entertainment industry. Um, what did you do there? That's interesting. I did a little writing, nowhere near as much as I wanted to. It's, I'm actually getting more writing work since I left because that's the way life is. But uh, I actually mainly worked in makeup effects when I was in, which I fell ass backwards into. I probably worked on about 200 episodes of television, four or five. Wow. Uh, Four or five movies. Um, I worked on True Blood, Fear the Walking Dead, The Walking Dead, The Orville. Doing actual uh, makeup for special effects. No, doing the foam latex prosthetics for the most part, uh -huh. helping those get those made. That you know, for like the dead people. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. I worked on CSI New York, where where I was actually in the front office on that. Um, didn't do any makeup effects work there, but worked in the field. Basically, we the the shops, you know, they make the bodies if there's a dead body, but it needs to look really realistic. Oh yeah. They can go down to punching the individual hairs in a person. They can reproduce it so exactly. We've had actors ask to have the original because they don't want fake photos taken. Right. Uh, wow. With the birthmarks, we'll do the, you know, the, the makeup artist will they'll match the eyeball. Absolutely. Like the iris, everything, broken capillaries yeah. under the skin, scars. That's if you have money, a big but, budget show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. 50 grand for one of those. 50 grand. And you're probably only going to wow. use one. But yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh. It's it's very expensive. Um but yeah, we did, you know, I worked on I worked at more actively on stuff like Walking Dead, um, and Fear the Walking Dead. That's, the that was a big Walking show. Dead, Umbrella Academy. Yeah. Well, Walking those, Dead. Meg, Megan's cool. breaking yeah. into that business right now. Yeah. Our our I sure am. Our little queen is on show, yeah, our major show right now. She's breaking yeah, in. Television's a fascinating, fascinating industry. I'm having yeah. a lot of fun so far. It is, and and I a lot, a lot to return. learn. I imagine I'm I'm going to return uh, to LA someday. It's just I needed a break, and I wanted to do something a little more. Uh, are you married? No. no. Oh, so wow. it's easy for me to trade coasts. So you can so run around. Yeah. So I went to I went back to I work for the district attorney out here as a <laughs> advocate for victims of crime. So it's, it's different from anything I've ever done because you're not locking people up. I'm not, you know, threatening to lock people up. I'm dealing with people who've been victimized, you know, in pretty terrible ways sometimes, trying to navigate them through the system. It's very different from anything I've ever done. It's never anything that I thought I was going to be doing. But after working in Hollywood for 13 years, it feels pretty good. Um, but I'm still, I'm still doing Hollywood projects. I got two projects I'm doing now, which I can't talk about because they're not, they're not out, but... The, it's nice to have that income and it's nice to be working oh, yeah. Hello. when I come home, you know, from my job, it's nice to get back in harness and do the entertainment related things as well as my own writing. So you with the writer's guild, obviously. No, I was never in the guild. Uh, I, I worked with the, or I, I asked uh, for the guild for help periodically. I'd call them up and say, what's going on. I need, you know, I have a question. I have, I was never in the writer's guild in LA cause I didn't get enough work as a writer. In L.A., the, oh, the, all the years I was out there. You know, there's this funny thing about L.A. You can do anything you don't want, right? You have to prove to the universe that you don't want something, and then it will give you that thing. 
So I went out there. <laughs> there were people who would kill your grandma to get a job at like on The Walking Dead. I didn't care. I'm not a makeup effects guy. I didn't know what I was doing. Right, right. right. So naturally, the universe puts me into this incredibly coveted position where I'm working in makeup effects with these real guys who really know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. I'm, and I'm like, I, I want to write. That's funny. <laughs> like, right. And I'm getting these little crumb assignments, you know, these tiny little crumb assignments here and there over periods of years. But meanwhile, work has fallen off the, the trees for everything that I never asked to do. Oh, you want to work in makeup effects in the front office? Do you want to work as a makeup effects artist? You want to go to set? You want to, and all these people who are coming out of makeup schools, like the Savini school, which is near oh, where I would Catholic. die to be there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. They would die to be in it, but you have to prove to the universe you don't want it. And then you will have it. So I'm tricking, <laughs> this is my wisdom. I'm mind, tricking Megan. the universe. Yeah, right. I, I yeah. moved back out here and I'm like, universe, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to write anymore. Immediately. Hey, Miles, you want to do a couple of these projects? We're going to send you the money in advance. It's a reverse <laughs> psychology with the universe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It only took a few hundred years for me to figure it out and oh, bone crushing, soul shattering failures. But I'm over it now. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Very enlightening. Oh, yeah. I mean, Always very a fun fascinating. Time. Well, thank you for having me. If you I have another are. book that you want to talk about, please come on. Yeah. What oh, was yeah. the name of those two books? I forgot. Well, the, I, I wrote a book, a World War II no, book. No, book. the ones you were selling. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. This is my shameless pitch. I forgot. <laughs> exactly. I'm Cage Light by Miles Watson. It's on Amazon and pretty much all the big booksellers online, but Amazon has the download special going on right now. And also the sequel, Knuckle Down, a Cage Life novel. That's how you know it's the sequel. All right. <laughs> and these covers are very old, uh, and in case anyone is actually seeing this, but uh, the if you go on Amazon, I have an Amazon author page, and everything I've ever written is on there. I also have an IMDb. If you're curious about my Hollywood life, uh, if you look me up by my full name, Miles Gerard Watson, I'm on IMDb.com. It doesn't Miles have all my Gerard credits. Miles Gerard Watson. Okay, that's a good name. <laughs> Sound like a historian. Well, thank you, Miles. You were very enlightening. No, thank you. Uh, very, very, very enlightening. Yeah, thank you, guys. Very entertaining, uh, too. Well, yeah. I've, I've wanted to come on here for a long time, and I'm glad the bribes that I, that I spread around uh, finally, <laughs> those checks yeah. finally cashed instead of bouncing like my normal checks, like to my landlord, for example. Yeah, I want to thank you for that. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. The diamonds are real, Pat. They're 100% real. Don't oh, really? check them out. I threw Don't them out. Don't take them to a jeweler. Okay. <laughs> They're not fake. I didn't think so. <laughs> All right, well, please. Well, thank, Miles, thank you. Well, well, thank you. Megan and I knew nothing about the gifts under the table, but. <laughs> you don't know. Well, you know, look in your mailbox tomorrow. It won't be a horse's head, Gianni. No. Thank uh -oh. God I have a, a very old building, very small mailboxes on this big. Thank you. you, Miles. What a pleasure. <laughs> have a good night. Take care. Thank I'll you. I'll be in touch. Okay, We're going to go make some money, do a commercial, come right back with the mailbag. Mailbag. The mailbag. Yeah. We'll be right bag. back. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco Extra Virgin Olive Oil from Sicily, 
They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com. That's CorleoneFineItalian.com. Okay, we're back. What do we got to... What mail do we have today? All right, so we have a few minutes left, so I'll see what we can sneak in. Um, first, I want to share a message from Susan. Susan says, The Hollywood Godfather rapology is brilliant. It dropped this morning, and I was anxious to give it a listen. Once again, you broke ground and took your life an incredible memoir into unbroken territory. The collaboration story and music weaves a portrait of your life that represents the emotional highs and lows that you experience, but more so your iron will and ultimate desire to survive and win. Congratulations, Gianni, Pat, and Megan, Joel, and Arsonist, with best wishes and blessings for all of life's gifts. Warm regards, Susan. Well, Thank you, sweet. Susan. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Wasn't that so sweet? Yeah. So well thought out. She didn't, even, she didn't even have a question. Yeah, it's just, just to, to thank say us. congrats and That's express great. what That's she thought about it, which was amazing. Yeah. Very, very sweet, Susan. Thank you so much. Next one is from Nathan in Australia. Nathan says, Dear Gianni, Pat, and Megan, I have thoroughly enjoyed your and Pat's book, and I look forward to the new fictional series. As my partner and I approach 50 years old, me first, unfortunately, we got into a drunken discussion while argument over MTV's unplugged shows from 30 years ago. My love and dearest said it was Eric Clapton that did the first Unplugged on television. I said it wasn't and that it was Elvis Presley's 1968 comeback special. Elvis singing That's Alright Mama is brilliant, showing a legend just enjoying singing and playing with his band, especially the great guitarist Scotty Moore. Gianni, when you knew Elvis, did you ever see the legend's pure enjoyment of plain singing and playing on an instrument without the hoopla? No. <laughs> he was too big at that time. There was no instruments <laughs> that he was playing on stage. Everything else. So whenever you guys spent time together, he didn't uh, pick sing up an or instrument. Play anything? No, no, no. He he was doing too much drugs and too many other things. <laughs> eating, eating too many peanut butter and marshmallows. Hello. <laughs> With bacon, you don't forget the bacon. Bake, oh, bacon. Yeah, the bacon. Yeah. That's what that's what we got his protein. Very important. Yeah. All right. Well, there's that. Also from Nathan, he says, one more question for you and Pat, Gianni. Will Ray Yale fans be getting an appearance in your and Pat's new fiction series? Thanks to you, Pat, and Miss Horan's weekly entertainment over the past four or so years. I will enjoy listening to your podcast over wine and pasta. Long may you reign. <laughs> okay, I, I missed the first part of that. So he asked if Ray Yale will be making an appearance in the fiction ah. series you and Gianni are writing together. You know, I think so now. Ooh. <laughs> Ray Yale, for those of you who don't know uh, who that is, that's my fictional uh, private detective. I wrote two novels, and they're available also on Amazon now. And uh, I yeah, love that, them. Thank you. That's a great idea. Uh, good. Really good. I expect to read it over the weekend. The new character. Ray Yale in there. <laughs> Yeah, I'll have the next chapter. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to have the uh, next chapter finished uh, by the weekend, I hope. There you go. All right. Well, Nathan, you just um, you just made something happen. Yep, you did. All right. You're I think we have shaker. time. Yeah. I think we have time for one more. This is from Lisa. Lisa says, this is a note for Gianni. Gianni, I went to see the 50-year screening of The Godfather and Dolby last night. It was fantastic on the big screen. 
I noticed your dance moves during the wedding scene. Looked like the jitterbug. Did they have to teach you the dancing? Love the podcast. Thanks, Lisa in Arizona. No, I when Costello used to go home for dinner on Fifth Avenue, there was a Fred Astaire dance studio, and they used to pay people like myself to go dance with all these old ladies. And I only went there, and I didn't need the money. I was making more money than the studio was. But I learned how to dance there. So I go for an hour, two hours. You know, they hire you by the hour to dance with all these people on Fifth Avenue. And then I'd walk over to the Cobra again. <laughs> but oh, I learned how to dance there. I'm glad she noticed the dancing. <laughs> she was paying very close attention to yeah. you, I'm sure. Yeah, we never got a question like that before. No. Interesting. I, I went to see it. You know, I wanted to see it again. And I, I went over to AMC up in Lincoln uh, Center this weekend. Yeah. And uh, what did you? Uh, well, you know, I, I I've seen it, you know, twenty five years ago maybe, but yeah. on the, on the big screen it's so much better. If anybody has the opportunity, they should go see it. It's going yeah, to be I a definitely plan to go. I I think it's only going up. It'll be up for about two more weeks, three more weeks. They, oh, no, they just keep it, it up so they get the screens to qualify again. I don't know what they're qualifying now. For the awards? Yeah, and then, then the, the new thing comes out. On, on, uh, oh, the I've got three things coming out. It's all good, though. Can The Godfather qualify again for awards? I don't know. That's what I'm, I'm you know, maybe best. Uh, if the new cut counts new as, cut, as something, not, I'm not sure how that not, works. No, I mean, I think the re revision of it, the music. The, well, there's, the, a, there's an award for editing. Maybe that. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they're going for, but who knows? Yes, we'll see. It was good to see, though. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, I've never had the opportunity to see it on screen, so. Oh, you should see it on the, if you have a minute. Yeah. No, I definitely plan on it, for sure. Good, Soon. good. Excited. All right. All right. Well, that is all we have time for tonight, boys. Well, I want okay. to thank our audience again and again and again. We're going into our fourth year of thanking you. We really appreciate everything you do. Keep the cards and letters coming, emails, whatever, whatever means you communicate to. We listen to and answer. Hmm. Pat, good night, my yes, friend. Hey. Our, uh, just our millennium genius. <laughs> who just keeps moving on. We'll be working for her next. <laughs> Megan, yeah, we'll see. Love you. Pretty good cool. night, guys. Right, good good night. night. Okay. Good night, everybody. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you. So warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but Thank just you call for tuning me. in to the Hollywood call Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. 
We'll be back next week with stories of the mob in Hollywood as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.